The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. Oh, that's a long way. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. For the championship. Shock it off in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview episode uno. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson and it's college basketball podcast season. So Mike Randall is joining us as well. Start with you, Colin. You ready to get into some hoops? I'm ready to talk about Alabama at a buying price. Like I think Alabama basketball is great. It's affordable. Something that we never had with Alabama football. Like we, there was never a good buying price. It was all, you know, we always knew that we're going to be the best and win the national championship, but at least Alabama basketball, we can get a little piece of that at some point. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? We will get into futures later in the show. We will also have, a weekly collaboration with the guys from Three Man Weave, a weekly Friday six-pack. So we'll each give our favorite bets. We'll track them uh, for Friday night. In addition to a great NFL weekend, we have four top 25 college basketball matchups and a full Saturday slate. We'll mention any other spots that catch our eye. But before we get to all that, I do have to introduce our college basketball podcast co-host, Mr. Mike Randall. Welcome back. What's going on, brother? Gentlemen, I am the curly of this Three Stooges affair. Duke is bad. Kentucky is bad. And I got a Florida State bet right. So 2021 is already off to a good start here. Look, college basketball has been my best betting sport for like, if you go back since the beginning of time when I started betting. So part of me hates the uncertainty this year. Like all everything is we have to figure out what is home court advantage worth without fans. Right. I'll get into some of this stuff in a second. But what does all this COVID uncertainty mean? Teams playing back to back games against the same opponent on back to back days in the Horizon, Big West, CAA, Conference USA, MAC, Big West, Big Sky, Mountain West. Although they have a two day break, Summit and Sunbelt. Like those are 10 or 11 conferences where you're getting these back to back. You play opponents back to back. What does it mean for these teams that go on three week breaks and then come back? There's conditioning. There's been conditioning issues. You have these teams like your Blue Bloods, Randall, that you mentioned, Kentucky, Duke. These teams, I mean, Michigan State looks awful too, but these teams never stink. But I think that, you know, they usually reload and they have freshmen and they started late. These are teams that usually come on and like, I think this this truncated weird season has really negative, negatively impacted those teams the most. What are some of the things that you've seen – Randall, I'll start with you just from your eye, if you want to get into trends or just something to just from the eye test that you've seen about this college basketball season so far. 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to rely more on nuance for betting. Some of the streaks just keep on going, right? Oregon can't win at Colorado. That just keeps on going. But then some streaks get broken. Teams end up going to Utah, and now they end up winning where they normally did not. So I think what's making it hard is the things that usually happen are not happening. And so you can't rely on, okay, Kentucky got rolling. Here comes Alabama. They're favored by one. No, Alabama's still good. Alabama's still good if they lose Herb Jones. Alabama, Alabama is still good when Bruner goes out with a knee injury. So there's been a lot more uncertainty. And the other thing I noticed, guys, is teams always make a run in the second half, but you are seeing polar opposites in the first and second half. I can't remember a year where, you know, Hoff's just playing Northeastern. They're rolling them at home up 18, second half, they get blown out. It just seems like the runs happen a lot more often in these games. Look, yes, so it's not my normal year and I have to change things up, but I am not complaining. Number one, it's interesting to me to try to figure this stuff out and you guys can, we're going to build a futures portfolio together. We're going to go on a ride together throughout this college basketball season. And just like college football, we did the same thing, Colin and I, and hopefully by the end, you know, we'll, we'll have our ups and downs. We can absolutely just crush March as we start to figure this out. But I am not complaining because I just want college basketball here. And I refuse. I don't, I mean, I don't, I can't refuse because it's not up to me, but I cannot go. I don't know what I would do in a world where I'd have to go two marches in a row without an NCAA tournament. Oh, it makes me, oh God, it makes me sick thinking about it. Colin, give your thoughts on the season so far. Yeah, I think home court advantage. I just want to elaborate on it. I mean, places like Grand Canyon, people talk about Bud Walton Arena with Arkansas, but the fans only go up into one section. When you look at Duke or Grand Canyon, it's where the student section uh, laps all the way around the court. And those are huge advantages when you can influence referees uh, and getting the calls to go your way. But we're looking at some programs where home court just doesn't matter. Like in the Big Ten, winning on the road is a really big deal. But here we got Illinois losing to Maryland. Uh, you know, last night, uh, you know, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, there's just usually home court and conference play uh, is something you don't want to fade, especially with teams that are solid. But I mean, you know, it's just examples in the Big Ten where it matters the most. It hasn't mattered that much. And I mean, I've been inside of Bud Walton Arena and it's quiet. I, I haven't had a quiet Razorback game since I came out of the womb and we were hitting the final four with <laughs> – Delph and Ronnie Brewer Sr. and and uh, and Sidney Moncrief. Home court advantage is, is there's no such thing this year, and I, that's really hard to experience because this was the one sport that we handicapped and bet on where it was the most important. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, by the way, cash your bets if it, if you bet under ten minutes for Colin to bring up Bud Walton Arena. <laughs> uh, but he actually brought up the Havocs in Grand Canyon first. Uh, that I, that would have been a, a very big underdog if you bet that. Uh, yeah, I mean, home court advantage, I, I that's what I'm fearful for. I love and live to find home dogs in college basketball in great spots. Home conference dogs have been getting crushed. Uh, I mean, they're 88, 114, and three, still a small sample size, 43.6% through yesterday. So it's something I'm going to continue to monitor. Home teams overall winning 56.6% of the games down from 60%. Every team sucks. In order to gauge really what home court meet is worth, I mean, it differs for teams. There's altitude, there's travel, there's so many different factors. But you have to really look at conference games. And home conference teams, they're 261, 272, and 12 against the spread. Home conference team money lines, they're hitting about 57.5%, just down a little bit. If you look at home teams favored 
uh, you know, under 10 points or underdogs of 10 or fewer points. So basically any single digit underdog or favorite, they're winning 54.5% of the time. Historically, that's like 56.5. So, you know, I've reduced home court. On average, it was three points in aggregate for college basketball historically. Now, that could be up to close to four and a half, five points for a Colorado with altitude down to a, you know, one and a half points for a Navy or a Canisius. But the average was about three points. Now, without a crowd, is it impacting you know, the momentum, if you believe in that, the officials being biased with foul calls. Those are things that, all right, maybe they're not going to be influenced now. They will impact the teams with the highest home court advantage the most. They will also impact these home dogs between like one and 10 points that are thriving off the crowd that get a couple extra calls. That's my hypothesis, at least. The other thing to keep in mind is tempo is up so far. Overs are hitting about 54, 55% against the spread of conference games. Is that related to no fans? Communication is better. Something we'll have to monitor. We're st- the you're, sample size we're working with is still low. You're making that statement as Mick Cronin and UCLA, one of the slowest teams in the nation, might approach 100 tonight against Wazoo. So. Oh, seven <laughs> to, Colin, 7 to 10 from three-point range in the first half. I love Kyle Smith, but that's going to knock down Washington State's defense every time. And, and what's crazy is last night – just sat Texas in the zone, Tech, too. Oof. You think Texas Tech would be slow-paced, but last night they're hitting 50% from three-pointers. I mean, I, it, it's an interesting season. Yep, no doubt. Uh, we will update all of these things uh, throughout the season. You know, the, I, I'm, not, I'm really trying to figure out these back-to-backs. You, know, you play them on a Friday, and, you, and then you play them again on a Saturday. So far, if they lost the previous game, it, it's uh, you know 52 and 56 and three against the spread. If you didn't cover the previous game – the next game, you're only co- you're still covering only 46% of the game. So the team that covers the first game has a small edge. Again, 100-game sample size. Um, if you remove the Mountain West and Big Sky, which is a two-day break, the teams that lost, that didn't cover the first day game, are 43 and 40 against the spread the second game. So nothing here yet. The one thing that I do think matters is if you play a team with a really unique scheme and then you get to see it that first day, and then obviously you can adjust. You're more comfortable playing it the second day. Or if you don't have a big, if you don't have a, if you have a very short bench, you don't have a lot of depth, that might hurt you playing on the second day, especially with conditioning being an issue early on in the year with shortened preseasons. But nothing really there yet. Something I'm monitoring. You've made your point. It would be, I think, seemly if the honorable gentleman speedily brought his speech to a conclusion. Uh, and before we get into some futures talk, Randall, anything else you want to just touch on about this early season? Yeah, just to build on that, one of, build on the fact that teams play back-to-back. One of the craziest things I saw was Army. Army ends up playing Colgate away. They get absolutely destroyed by 44 points. Then they come back and win in the next game by two. Then they go to Holy Cross. They destroy Holy Cross by 25, and then they come back and lose by nine. So you're right. Not only is it changing with the styles, but there are certain situations where teams see it the second time. And again, that second Army Holy Cross game, Holy Cross was getting buried in the first half. So there can be some really wild swings, not just win by five, lose by five. I'm talking win by 25, lose by double digits. I'm going to add on to that, and it's going to lead straight into Futures Talk. I mean, one of the futures I have on the Action app is Western Kentucky 100-1, to and two of their losses in conference play came on the second game. They lost to Charlotte the day after they beat them. They lost to Louisiana Tech the day yeah. after they beat them. So, I mean, it's 
the, the sec, getting to see somebody for a second time in, say, a 28-hour period is, is really advantageous to the team that just lost. Yeah, Boise State beat San Jose State. This might be the funniest one, 106 to 54. And San Jose yeah. State is so bad. The next day they won, they beat, or two days later, they beat San Jose State by one. I'm trying to figure out if there's a lot of noise and what, what's to it because I think that there could be, could be an edge there. So a lot more to come there. All right, well, let's get into some futures talk. We are going to do something different this year on the podcast where we're going to build a futures portfolio leading up to March. We're going to have one game each week. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. The way that it works is I'm going to start. I'm going to bring three teams. Each person's going to do this. Like Connell will do it next week. Then Rand will do it the following week. Each person will bring three teams to debate that they say, look, I'll be okay. Three candidates to invest from a futures perspective. One person gets to knock off one of them. The other person gets to knock off another. And whichever one is left, that's the one we add to our futures portfolio. But before we get to that, we'll close with that. Let's just go around the horn and kind of sum up just your favorite futures that you have already. Anything interesting you want to note? I think, Colin, you want to talk about Drew Timmy, which we can debate a little bit, because I think that's really interesting. I think you are going to need some help there, but we'll see. Uh, so what do you got? Well, I mean, the whole Drew Timmy buy was because of the price point and because at some point I thought I'd be able to buy out with Luca Garza. Obviously, Luca Garza, you know. So what, what is it again? Share, share with yeah, that. so for everybody, uh, DraftKings was offering a 300 to 1 on Drew Timmy for National Player of the Year, the Wooden Award. And that was a last minute, you know, grab go on the day before. And so for me, it was, this is the best player who should not have to share minutes on what is probably going to be the best team in the nation. And at 300 to one, I'm going to roll the dice with this. I knew that Luca Garza was out there, but the odds on him were never greater than say three to one to win the, you know, to win the Wooden Award. And I knew that that would always be the problem. I'm not wishing that Garza gets hurt, but things do happen. Uh, and especially with COVID and what we've seen with college football, uh, we know that it's a mixed bag of what's going to happen during the season. Now, Garz is off and running like we expected, dominating basketball for Iowa, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't know really how to hedge out the Timmy 300 to one. Uh, I think his team, they have nobody in conference to stop them whatsoever. Uh, I think the closer we get in February and March, I've got to start looking for prices on Garza. We're going to talk about Illinois, I know, for, from a futures perspective. I, they got a player there. I got to worry about winning player of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think your biggest issue is, I mean, it's not just Timmy on that. I mean, Suggs is amazing. And I, that Gonzaga team, I have them power rated number one. I, I, that offense is unbelievable. They score within like a second. I, I, it's it's crazy how good that offense is. But the problem is, is Gonzaga is going to go disappear for two months. They're going to go and just destroy teams. No one's going to care. Meanwhile, Garza, you even have this kid Dickinson who we're going to start talking about in Michigan who's just putting up ridiculous numbers. But then you have Desunmu. You have a bunch of these guys in the Big Ten which is absolutely loaded that are going to be going at each other on national TV uh, for the next two months in close games, high profile games. That's your biggest problem. Randall thoughts on uh, player of the year and Gonzaga just in general, they're a rocket ship. Gonzaga is incredible. The, the sh- biggest shocker to me was when they ended up playing Iowa at the neutral. I think they played at that Pentagon place. They had two weeks off. They couldn't practice fully because they were off for COVID I actually ended up taking Iowa because I'm like, look, I love Gonzaga. They're better. Iowa's play defense, fine. But two weeks off, you're going to come and beat Iowa? They didn't just beat them. They pounded them. Suggs is amazing. I think he's the number one pick in the draft. I have him ahead of Cunningham. Uh, Timmy is getting lost in the shuffle, Colin. That's a great bet. I mean, he's he's Petrusev, the, the next guy up. 
They have a great coach. They have depth. Few is not even covering the big spreads. He's lost a lot of those big spreads because he's playing all his players to keep them healthy and keep everybody involved. Gonzaga is absolutely amazing. I mean, they're just at a different level. I'm curious to see what happens with Baylor here coming up this weekend because Gonzaga to me is still number one. I think Baylor has some flaws. I don't see any with Gonzaga. Yeah, I put Baylor, Baylor is my number two. And then I do think that there's a drop off to figuring out who's three. It might be Michigan, the way that they're playing. We'll talk about Michigan. It could be Tennessee. There's a number of teams, but I think it's clearly Gonzaga, one, and then Baylor. But yeah, I mean, even Gonzaga, they, they'll take out Timmy and go with this like death small ball line. I mean, oh gosh. I mean, with Nebard and uh, Kispert never misses a three. It's, it's a crazy good offense. But Colin, back to the futures your team from a team perspective, what do you got and what's worth sharing? Yeah. So on the action app, I put them in back in October. I hope everybody was able to catch a piece of these. Uh, you know, I had Western Kentucky hundred to one, just figuring they're the best in their conference. They should get the bid uh, through their tournament. Uh, Houston 80 to one with Kelvin Sampson there. Uh, I thought that that was, you know, going to be their ninth right now in Ken Palm. Uh, you know, Quentin Grimes has been one of the best players in the entire division one. I think he's 10th uh, in Ken Palm's rankings. Uh, and then there's UCLA that I took at 80 to one. I just thought it was a team that was coast that was on the rise last year. We never got to see what the end result was for Mick Cronin's team. Uh, right now they're 28th in Ken Palm. They're nine and two. They had an opening loss to San Diego state. They didn't look prepared at all losing by 15. Uh, and they've only lost to Ohio state since then. And they're just one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the nation. Uh, and then Dan Hurley's UConn, I got him at 100 to one. I thought that that was not an accurate price for, you know, the rebound that UConn is having as a program. Uh, seven and one right now, 24th in Ken Palm. And then finally, the team that I had a ticket on last year and the team I was pissed off the most about that the season got canceled, Creighton. I went back to the well, 60 to one. They're doing much better than I actually thought they would. They lost by one to Kansas. I mean, there's no hurt in that. They're 10 and two on the season. They lost to Marquette at home. You know, they just went ice cold the last 10 minutes against Marquette. So, I mean, if your two losses are, you know, last 10 minutes Marquette and one to Kansas, I'm not going to fault that, but I mean, these guys, top 25 in three-point distribution uh, and top 25 in three-point shooting, when they are hot, they are untouchable. Yeah, the one I want to build on is Creighton. I got Creighton for Big East title. I got him at 5-1. to one. I'm still riding it. The thing I like about them is they got that key win at Connecticut, despite boat night going absolutely bananas. Thank you for the three and overtime at the buzzer to kill the, the cover. But they, Villanova, I look for futures in conferences with teams that are, they have a favorite, an absolute favorite. And then I go, can the tier below make a run? People love Nova. It was Nova. That's what everyone's talking about. They're now on basically. Is Villanova opt out? Like, well, I forgot that they're a team. No, they're (laughs) right. Exactly. They're still on COVID. And so now you have Creighton, who's won at St. John's, at Connecticut, at Providence. Those are big wins. They don't have Villanova till, till much later. So I like Creighton in the Big East. The one I'm looking at, I had Illinois 6-1 to one in the Big Ten. And listen, I know that Michigan is runaway. We can talk about them in a little bit. We talk about the Minnesota game. But Illinois has balance. They have the coaching. DeSumo's got to a different level. Coburn stays out of foul trouble. They can get a little flaky. It's a bad loss at home to Maryland. But I still think they have the pieces and the coach to make a run. And the championship future that I had at the beginning of the year for 15-1 to one is Tennessee. Now, look, I know their offense struggles, and they can go for a real long time. But I loved the fact that Tennessee has the length at the time to guard Kentucky and to match up with them. At this point, the defense is there. They go on the road, they lock you down, but they have to find a way to score. That's where they're vulnerable. So I'm still on the Tennessee bandwagon because defense will travel. They just have to find a way to score better. 
I was fighting you two off of the volunteers last year. I could faded that team every chance I got. They're hot this year. They look, I mean, Tennessee is a team that I love to bet against, but this year they've been proving me wrong. Yeah, that defense, I mean, uh, it's if they could just find ways to score, if they can get to the line, um, but that defense is absolutely devastating uh, on the perimeter just across the board. Eve Pons is going to be an NBA player. He's going to find a way on a roster. I know he struggles to score, but he has length. He can defend, and he learns to do – he can guard point guards and centers. Absolutely. Um, all right, so it's time for my futures. I'll give you my three candidates. Two of these I already played, and one of them – I guess this is kind of breaking news. I played today, and I played them before their game today. I guess I'll start there. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I played some Colorado. The best number I could find out there was like 125 to 1 and some 100 to 1. I I didn't think I'd be interested in this team after losing Bay from last year and how important he was to their defense, and they kind of just fell off the face of the earth. People Remember before – the last few weeks of the season last year, like this team was up and coming and everyone was like, oh, it's a sleeper. I I have them in my top 20 now. They really fit the profile. They're rated a top 25 offensive and defensive efficiency. You have uh, just an absolute floor general in McKinley Wright, who I love. I love his mid-range game. And look, Batty is there. You have Schwartz who can get red hot. Dallas Walton, he'll be back soon, the seven-footer. They added Jeriah Horn from Tulsa, who is doing a lot of the things that Bay did last year. And they got this freshman Jabari Walker, who I I've been really impressed with. It's a team that, and look, here's another thing on top of all of this. I know it's a pac 12 team. I just think the price is way too high for a team. That's in my top 20 power ratings right now. They're number one. They could potentially set the NCAA record for free throw shooting. They're number one in the nation right now, like over over eighty four percent from the line. This team is money at the line, uh, so they're you know in close games. That's that's going to matter. Big fan of Tab Boyle. I, I lo- like this team. It still has a defensive identity. They did lose a couple games where they just went ice cold. You know they lost to UCLA, Arizona. They hung with Tennessee. They just couldn't make an sh- outside shot. But when they're making their outside shots, it's not that they haven't, sh- they're, they're, you know, they're, they're making, they're shooting, I think, 37%. So maybe there's some shooting regression coming overall. But I just like what I see from this team. Today, they got down 10 early to Cal and then absolutely boat raced them. I know Cal stinks, but uh, I like where this team's headed. You mentioned this, Randall. This is a team that could not win at Utah. Nightmares at Utah, and they got to win at Utah. So there's little signs that I'm seeing. I don't think this team's going to win at all, but could they make a run this year? Sure. And then you get a hedgeable piece. So that's number one. The second is one I played preseason. You could still find 100 to 1 out there on St. Louis, my Billies. Um, is the offense there? Is the question. It's going to come down to guys like Gibson Jimerson. Can he shoot the three, shooting over 40%? He got hurt last year. Um, you know, Perkins is playing unbelievably well on the offensive side of the ball. And then, you know, this team is going to defend and, you know, they're going to rebound. Uh, I mean, Jordan Goodwin is a guard. He's going to get like, he can get like 20 rebounds a game. Hassan French in, in the middle is just a bruiser. This is a team you just don't want to play. They're going to just, just bully you. And it's a very experienced team. Um, they haven't played in a month, by the way. So I, I, you forget a little bit about this team. The biggest thing with them is free throw shooting. There's some, they're shooting eight, uh, 73% from the line, top 100. The key there is, you know, French, has, his whole career, he's been so bad from the line. I mean, he's only shot seven free throws this year. 
uh, as well as Gore, as well as Goodwin. Goodwin, who, which I don't understand, he's a guard. He's been 50%, 50%. This year he's over 70%. That's huge because the ball is in his hands at the end of games. And then my last one is, those are two kind of long shots that you want to try and maybe hedge if they get far. And in a crazy COVID year, who knows? But my last one is if we want to start with a foundational piece, it's Illinois. You could find a 19 to 20 to one still out there. I think anything over 15 to one, I like. This is probably my favorite team in the country. When Kof, when Cobert's not in foul trouble, he can dominate a game. Now, he's still vulnerable in pick-and-roll defense, which is a concern, not a concern against Ohio State this weekend, which we'll talk about. But, you know, Dusunmu, these are two pros. These are your foundational pieces. Still an experienced, very experienced team um, with, a, with a lot of continuity, but the keys are the freshmen that they added. I'm a huge Adam Miller fan. Uh, this Corbello looks like a player. and uh, you know, Adam Miller's shooting is kind of the missing piece. And if Trent Frazier, he's making threes, it just opens up this entire offense. But I think this Miller and Corbello, they're going to go through this Big Ten gauntlet of a season, and they're going to be, I think, just ready to roll come March. This experience is really going to pay off for them. And they've played well already to start. So those are my three. Illinois, 20-1. to St. Louis, 100 to one and Colorado 125 to one Colin you start knock off one all right so I'll tell you the two that I like and that is Colorado and St. Louis why Colorado number one in the nation in free throw shooting percentage they are decent at rebounding uh, you know they're top they're 51st in defensive rebounding 84th in offensive rebounding and then I'm keeping St. Louis because I love all, you know what I want in my postseason play is good guard play free throw percentage shooting, and I need some rebound. I need you to sweep the glass. I mean, shooting comes and goes with some teams. I'm keeping St. Louis. They're ninth on the offensive boards. Uh, And then to go back to Colorado, I mean, they're 28th in all of D1 and experience, and they go six deep. When I look over this Illinois team, I'm throwing it off. I know that they've got the star power, but two things really bother me. And one is their turnover percentage on defense. They're one of the worst in the nation. They cannot take the ball away from you. Uh, 322nd turnover percentage on defense. Uh, you know, they have lost a game at home where you look at Colorado, the three games they lost were on the road. The one game St. Louis has lost was on the road. Illinois, you know, did just lose a home game. They've lost on neutral site to Baylor. No hurt in that, but it's the price point. And at 20 to one, I'm looking at a schedule where we're about to face top 20 Ohio State, number three, Iowa. We got Michigan. We got Indiana, Wisconsin. There's no break in this team on the schedule until February 12th. On February 12th, you have Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska, that's your buy point because they'll take more losses and that will increase the price right now. So I'm going to throw Illinois off of the boat because I think at price point, you're going to get it better down the line, specifically penciled in on February 12th. That's fair enough. There's not as much volatility with the Illinois price. I mean, how much higher can it go? Whereas if St. Louis goes on a big run or Colorado, I mean, Colorado is a pretty easy schedule coming up and they go on a big run here, that price could come down. Randall, you make the decision. Who are you knocking off, St. Louis or Colorado? Let's start with the one I like. I love St. Louis. I love the beginning of the year. You pointed out, Stuck, they're shooting 41% from three-point range. This is a team that was down at like 30 
their calling card was defense, slop it up, and we have to try to pray to make some shots. That's not the case this year. They're shooting 73% from the free throw line. That's insane. This is a team that was able to win when they're shooting 50%. I remember last year when they ended up playing Dayton, that game went to overtime at home. I mean, Dayton was a dominant team. They were like a one seed, and they battled them even with their offensive limitations. I lost love the, the buzzer. Yeah, lost, lost the buzzer. At the buzzer. Yeah, it was a three or whatever it was at the buzzer. I love the price. I love the timing. They're on a COVID break. People are forgetting about them. They're not scheduled to come back till January 20th against UMass, who I do not like. They're going to get hot again, and that price is going to drop. So I think that's a great one. I love what Travis Ford is doing. I believe in him more than, than Boyle, so I'm going to go with them. And listen, the Colorado, it's the man behind the mask. If you sit there and look at the numbers with Colorado, it makes a lot of sense. 84%. Great point guard in McKinley Wright. They're playing tough. They're rebounding. I guess I was just burned last year, and I was really shocked because they were a strong team last year. They end the year five straight losses, not four, five. UCLA, California away, come on. Stanford and Utah, okay, maybe they ended with three road games, so they'll do something in the Pac-12 tournament. Got blown out by Wazoo. Smoked by Washington State. So it's just to me, I got to see it to believe it. I liked them stuck at this time last year. And I'll tell you when it turned, it turned for me on the UCLA game away on January 30th. I remember watching that game and said, that was an odd loss. And then after that, I'm off. I understand it. I love McKinley Wright, everything. The free throw shooting, you're right, is historic. But if I have to pick one, because St. Louis right now is still under the radar and they're doing the things that historically the last few years they haven't been able to do. And of course, they're not a power conference team. So people forget about them. I'm going to go with St. Louis. The Billies. Love it. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Um, all right, so that is our futures talk for the week. Let's get into our weekend six pack with the three man weave crew. Six guys, six picks. It's a college hoops weekend six pack. Everyone's trying to get it right, get it right. Everybody's working for the weekend. So we are now joined by the newest contributors to the Action Network family, Kai McEwen, Jim Root, and Matt Cox, better known as the three-man weave. These are our three college hoops junkies like ourselves, and they'll be joining us every Friday this season to help us build our weekend six-pack, six picks for the Friday night college hoop slate. You can catch them on Twitter at 3MW underscore CBB. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. We're thrilled. We've been action users and followers for quite a long time, but we're excited to be here. We're college hoops fanatics. Kai, we've been together for about five years, correct? Jim, five years and five wonderful years of writing previews with you guys, talking hoops. I say writing previews, everyone out there, because we preview every single team in the country during the offseason. We have all 350 plus previews on our website, a thousand words on, I don't know, Cal State Bakersfield, any team you want. We got it, 3-man-weave.com. Matt, we have fun, don't we? Uh, we have way too much fun. Uh, I can't believe it's been five years. Wow, I'm getting a little nostalgic right now. I might just might start tearing up here. But yeah, I think a lot of folks out there know us because we know all these random teams inspired by 
Jordan Majeski. I think we've made it our niche to dive into these mid-majors. We cover the whole landscape, soup to nuts. Uh, I think some of our gambling followers probably know us best for betting way too much on Long Beach State, but that's all we got. Uh, Two of you guys are Mizzou guys, like our producer, Matt Mitchell, right? Absolutely. I am a Mizzou grad. This is Jim. Kai, also a Mizzou grad. We met there playing pickup basketball. We were both accounting students, and then we eh, sort of ditched the accounting world. Kai's still got a a toe in that, but bonded over basketball. Kai, you and Matt grew up together, though. We did. Matt and I are both from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. Matthew decided to take his talents to Indiana, become a Hoosier for some odd reason. I went to MIZ. I'm a true son. But Matthew, Indiana is not really your favorite team in basketball, is it? You're more of an Evil Empire Duke guy. Kai, just with college basketball, my heart is big enough to love two teams, right? So it's allowed me to love Duke and IU. It's probably the worst thing about me. But yes, I was too big for Mizzou. Had to take my talents to Indiana, the epicenter, the heartland of college basketball. And so I think that just fueled my college basketball love and fandom. And that's part of the reason why we have uh, such a strong bond amongst three of us. Obviously, me and Kai go way back for too long, honestly, way too long. Uh, Duke and Indiana, gross. Uh, Missouri, I can get behind. Ricky Paulding Nation. Kai, Jim, and Matt, we're happy to have you. Kai, we'll start with you. Let's look at the Friday slate and build this weekend six-pack. Let's go with Little Rock. The Trojans in a Sun Belt matchup with Texas State. Little Rock opening up at minus five and a half. If it's a little higher, no big deal, guys. Take it up to seven points. Texas State has largely been awful this season, despite the fact they are a top 20 team in experience and they're 38th in the country in continuity. Clearly, Danny Casper leaving the program mattered. He is their former coach. They did have a 12-point win against Louisiana, which was impressive. They do it with defense. However, Little Rock guys should be the class of the conference this season. Uh, Marquise Knoll, Daryl Walker. Uh, Daryl Walker is the coach of Little Rock. They've had some locker room issues, some, some chemistry issues. I'm not worried about that in this game. Little Rock should totally outclass Texas State. The one thing to worry about is Texas State forcing turnovers. They are 15th in the country in forcing turnovers. Little Rock, 296th in turnover rate. That's concerning. However, I think Little Rock's paint dominance on the other end of the floor and their ability to get to the foul line has them set up to cover this one. Little Rock, minus 5.5, up to 7, guys. The turnovers do scare me there, as you alluded to. Texas State forces them a ton, and Rock will give you the ball. I'm still trying to get a feel for this Little Rock team, but we'll ride with it in the first pick of the weekend six-pack. Jim, you're up next. I am looking at Charlotte. They are open right now as a home dog to UAB, plus one and a half. First thing, let's get it out of the way. They lost to a D2 team last weekend. That is bad, but... They were up 18 in that game and their starting center didn't play the second half because he got popped in the nose and they just figured it wasn't worth the risk. So I'm throwing that game out. They played with Western Kentucky for two games before that. It's fine. This matchup is great for them playing UAB, a team that thrives on pressuring opponents. However, Charlotte's got two point guards, a dual point guard system. They take care of the ball. They're coached by a Tony Bennett disciple and Ron Sanchez. They know what they're doing. They will be in okay shape against that pressure. Plus, the number one guy in the country in steal rate, Quan Jackson for UAB, is out for this game. He is working with a knee injury. So without him, that pressure becomes a lot less scary, a lot less frightening for Charlotte to deal with. And then the other end of the court, Charlotte's a pack line team. They're going to box it in the same way that Virginia does, and UAB can't shoot. They are near the bottom in the country in three-point attempt rate, very low, 245th in three-point percentage as well. Only two guys really even take the shot, so... This sets up very well for Charlotte on both ends. 
Ignore that D2 loss. Take them as a home dog, plus one and a half. I'd even take it if it flips to a favorite, minus one. I love the 49ers here. Back to you, Stucky. More on that game in just a second for me. But Jim goes with Charlotte, which I do agree with. Matt Cox, you're up next. Give us pick number three. Yeah, I'm going to go with the short home favorite here. I'm taking USA. And no, I don't mean the US of A. I mean the University of South Alabama. The Jaguars under Richie Riley have been a transfer safe haven the last couple of years. This year they've struggled, though. They've been on the struggle bus because they've had some injuries. Guys like Tyreek Locour, Sammy Orio have missed a few games here and there. They have a short bench. They've started off one in three in conference that's both outright and against the spread. However, this is a juicy spot and a great matchup, and here's why. The spot sets up perfectly because this is the first leg of these back-to-backs that we've seen all across the country this year. South Alabama has played well in both of the opening legs of these back-to-back series. Um, You saw them get up big against Georgia Southern. They blew that lead. You saw them get up early as well in the first first series. I just think that in the first leg of these back-to-backs, you have these shorter bench teams like South Alabama, a very talented team. This is the spot where they're going to give their best effort. After blowing a massive lead last weekend, I think you get an angry, a very motivated, a locked-in team against Appalachian State, who's coming off two of their own miracle comebacks. They pulled two rabbits out of their hats last weekend, and I think you're getting a perfect spot here and good value with a healthy Jaguars game. Love it. Excited to work with the guys from Three Man Weave this season. I will say that I do agree with South Alabama from a spot perspective. If they do end up winning this game, something to keep in mind is if you might get some line value with App State on the second game of the back-to-back. Why am I saying that? Well, some depth issues with South Alabama, but they play a unique defensive scheme. They play a unique zone. So seeing that zone on the first night, you get to see it the second night. And if you're taking notes out there, your zone teams in college basketball, like your unique teams that that run zone, I think like, you know, over 70% of the time, Syracuse, obviously, Oakland, Hofstra, Merrimack, uh, they're they're right up there with Syracuse, almost like 98, They, they just run nothing but zone. Washington, Syracuse disciple, Eastern Michigan, Syracuse disciple, uh, Air Force, South Alabama, Tulane, Northern Kentucky, uh, Binghamton. Bryant uses it a bunch. Uh, so those are your your kind of your zone teams. But I, I'm going to agree with one. My my pick. So the fourth pick of the weekend six pack is actually Charlotte plus one and a half. Uh, I think it's a great spot. Charlotte did lose last week to. I'm trying to remember this correctly. I think Belmont Abbey. They're yep. a really, really good D2 team, but yep. they shouldn't have lost that game. But yeah, I think it's a great spot for all the reasons that Jim mentioned from a matchup perspective as well. And keep in mind that UAB is running like they're running like gods on three point defense. Teams are shooting like 23, 24% against them, which is wow, one of the five lowest rates in the country. So you should see some regression there. Uh, so I'm going with Charlotte for the fourth pick of the weekend six-pack. I'll kick it to you, Randall, for your pick on the Friday night six-pack. What do you got? Yeah, I love Charlotte. 10-4-1 at home against the spread. Ron Sanchez, great coach, of course. I'm going with St. Bonaventure over Duquesne. Duquesne head coach Keith Dambro, he's that X and O guy, really good, he's solid, but he's a little too get off my lawn for, I think, some of the players. So there's they've had a series of issues on the team. Sincere Carey, their point guard, floor general, he announced earlier this week he's transferring along with 
fellow junior Lamar Norman, who was already in the portal. Maceo Austin has been out dealing with personal issues, so they are decimated. They're in disarray. They played hard at Dayton, who's also missing some players, but they didn't cover. They eventually lost at nine. Now they have to go up to St. Bonaventure. Bonaventure is one of the favorites in the A-10. They had COVID issues earlier in the year, so no one is really on them yet, but they are a very, very strong team. They won at Richmond. They beat Hofstra, and they lost to Duquesne at home, so they have revenge on their mind. Duquesne only 63% from the free throw line, 56% in conference play, and that's with Carey and Norman. Their offense is not good. Bonnies are great on the boards. They defend the three-point line really well, especially at home. And I'm going to call it, guys, the Osuni rule. Their big center. When he's been healthy and on the court, 23 and yeah, 6 past two years when he played, 22 and 4 when he doesn't foul out. So if he just stays on the court, they're 22 and 4 as a team, 11-9, two blocks per game. Love their guards at the Bonnies. Jaron Holmes, 16 points, 57% from three-point range. And he's attempted more than like five or six. Kyle Lofton, 13, 4, and 5. Dominic Welsh, 10.7.7 rebounds for Welsh as a guard. I'm going to grab it as soon as it comes out because I think it's going to go north. Ken Palm has it around 10. Let's say it opens at 8. I'll take the Bonnie's double-digit win. Yeah, with that, I mean, that, their perimeter defense has been excellent. And when they have Osun in the middle to defend the rim, that defense is extremely scary. Uh, Colin, where are you going? Final pick. I'm going to go off the beaten path here. I'm going to take Robert Morris on the road against UIC. As we're recording right now, it's Illinois-Chicago minus three. I know, Stuck, this is a game that you make. Illinois-Chicago should only be favored by one, one and a half. Uh, Robert Morris is 11th in the nation in three-point shooting percentage. Uh, they're top 50 in plenty of other categories where, you know, UIC has had some problems with defense. I know UIC has come back after a COVID break, but still, they're, if you look at some of their advanced numbers, like offensive rebounding, 286 free throw percentage 246 steal percentage 240 I mean they're terrible at, they're terrible at a lot of the basic fundamental things as where Robert Morris is a good shooting team and that translates on the road with what we've seen so far this year so I'll go with Robert Morris on Friday night fair enough yeah I make that minus 1.7 so don't disagree with you and, and for what it's worth these teams that are coming off again small sample size but these teams coming off three week breaks or more you could argue that there's conditioning issues. I mean, they're 10, 18, 10 and 18 against the spread. 28 games. Who cares? But again, just things that we're monitoring. Uh, they have not been successful so far. All right. Let's move on to Saturday's card and talk about the four top 25 matchups before we get out of here. So many games. So little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. We will start with Ohio State at Illinois. I'm going to have to go through the matchups here, which I'll talk about and adjust it, but I, I expect Illinois to be about a five, six point favorite. Ohio State has had a lot of injuries. They've had Justice doing their last game against Northwestern. He was playing like a point forward because CJ Walker is out. Uh, and then you had Sotos, the Bucknell transfer. He's hurt. I don't think he's going to play this weekend, but maybe he can. You know, And as a result, they have this kid, this freshman that was reclassified, Michi Johnson. Just started practicing like a week or two ago. He's now playing. Uh, it's a scrappy team. They run great sets on offense with Holtman. But I, look, they lost a lot from last year. They're dealing with a lot this year. I still think they are extremely vulnerable on the interior. Now, they will battle. Liddell will battle with Kyle Young. But I just don't see how they they stop Coburn. And I, look, if you go back to Ohio State, when they played Minnesota, Minnesota – has a seven-footer, Liam Robbins, 
who went for 27 points and on 12 and went 12 of 17 from the line, just ripped them up inside. I think Coburn, as long as he doesn't get in foul trouble, can do the same thing. The pack line, Ohio state defense, Illinois has shooters all over. And look, Ohio state's not going to run a ton of pick and roll. They don't do it well to kind of expose Coburn's weakness on the defensive end. I think this is a good spot to get Illinois. Uh, Randall would say you in this matchup or just talk about either one of these teams. Yeah, I second it. O- Ohio State, they're gritty. They play tough. But let's look at their road games. They played away Purdue. Empty arena. Lost that game. Did not cover. Purdue was not playing well at that time. Then they go away Northwestern. They were favored in that game. They were coming off the, the Rutgers win at home, in which case they beat Rutgers. But Rutgers had injuries across the board and lost players in the middle of the game. They were getting destroyed by Rutgers at home, but they pulled that one out. They go to Northwestern, they lose. They come home to Nebraska next. And you nailed the Minnesota game. Minnesota's tough at home. They got blown out by 17. They went away to Rutgers, who's struggling a little bit. The Northwestern game, Northwestern hung around. I am with you. I like Illinois. They're going to need this win. The loss to Maryland stings. They're going to be angry about that. Coburn inside makes everything go. Illinois still shooting 41% from three-point range. What does that even mean? So I'm with you. I like an Illinois bounce back. Ohio State, they're gritty. They're tough. But in the end, they just don't have it together yet. So I'm not backing them on the road here and giving Illinois two tough games. I think Illinois wins and covers. Yeah, it's it's you are a bit about shooting aggression, but if you can shoot threes and you have a guy like Coburn, that's how you beat this Ohio State defense. Ohio State also doesn't turn you over. Uh, and they don't really have a true defensive point guard right now. So, and if you don't turn over Illinois, that offense is so efficient right now, and they have shooters. So, I, I think this is a good setting up as a good spot for Illinois. Ohio State will be an interesting team come late in the year, and they all have spots where they'll be interesting during the year. But they're dealing with so many injuries and turnover. When they get Walker back, you know, you have Seth Towns who's kind of getting it, you know, integrated and assimilated into the into the lineup. You're going to get a lot of these guys back. You have Michi Johnson, this freshman who's just reclassified playing. They're getting a lot of guys with a lot of different experience. They're pretty deep. So it's a team that that could have value later in the season. You got anything here, Colin? No, I agree with you. Uh, you know, the one weakness that Illinois has on offense is that you can't take the ball away. Their steal percentage is 200. Block, you know, percentage on offense is 199th. But that's just something Ohio State can't expose being 324th defensively and taking the ball away. So I expect, you know, Illinois, who had the game in hand against Maryland, should be pissed off, like Randall said. Get the job done here. Uh, Moving on to Baylor, Texas Tech, Big 12 blockbuster. I make this line around Baylor minus five. This will be at Texas Tech. This is a really fascinating matchup for a number of different reasons. But do we have to start giving more more credit to Mr. Scott Drew? Uh, That is one of the questions that, we should talk about because he was kind of the butt of jokes for a while, even though he brought his teams to lead eights, but he would make some dumb end of game situations, but he's done a tremendous job with his team. And one of the things he's done is you Baylor and zone used to be synonymous, right? Baylor in their zone. They don't run zone anymore. They're, they're running Texas techs, no middle defense, and they might be doing it a, a little bit better. And what I mean by no middle is if you watch Texas tech at, and now Baylor's, they force everything to the sidelines. They force you to the left and they have early help and they just have, they don't let you get into the middle of the court. And I mean, Baylor just chases all over the way that you have to beat that. You just have to, you have to have really good ball movement and a lot of shooters all over, which Baylor does more so than Texas tech. 
I think, I mean, Bale, everyone on Baylor shoots like 40% from three. Um, so I think they're more equipped to beat this no middle defense. It's interesting though that both teams run it and they both get the practice against it. Texas Tech, I'm still trying to figure out. They got that huge win. And again, they had no businesses winning against Texas. Mac McClung makes that three at the buzzer and they beat Texas. It felt like they were behind eight to 10 the whole game. I don't think there's going to be an emotional letdown here, but I actually think Baylor matches up decently from an X's and O's perspective, but a really fascinating game. Uh, Randall, I'll start with you. What do you see here? I just don't think Texas Tech has enough offense in this game. That was a nice comeback against Texas, but Texas got a little tight and blew that lead. Baylor's going to be able to execute in the half court. And like you said, they have players that can score in a variety of ways. Butler can shoot it. T can shoot it. Mitchell can shoot it. Flagler's now, he was gone for a little bit with the COVID issue. Now he's back. They're going to pound the boards. They're going to battle with Texas Tech. So I just don't think the, the Red Raiders have enough offense. I think coming off of Texas is going to be a very difficult spot for them to get up yet again. I like Baylor here. They're shooting well. They're rebounding well. And they lock you down on the two-point area. So McClung's going to have to have another big game. I don't know if this is going to happen against Baylor. I like the Bears. Colin, anything here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're going to get a discount on Baylor because Texas Tech was able to pull it out against Texas. But there's a couple things in key areas that I think Baylor is going to reign supreme. They're third in the nation, three-point shooting, 42.8%. Uh, Texas Tech's perimeter defense outside the top 100. And then if you look at Baylor's defense, they're fifth in the nation in steal percentage. Texas Tech's offense outside the top 100. So there's two key areas there, especially in guard play. Uh, I think Baylor is going to get a, a discounted price because of what happened against Texas. So, yeah, Bears all the way. It's a sweep here. Completely agree there. Uh, let's move on to Virginia at Clemson. I make Clemson, I think, around a two to three point favorites where I'm expecting the line to come out. Clemson's defense, we talk about Baylor's defense. Clemson's defense, number one in the country from an adjusted, adjusted efficiency perspective on Kempom. Their defense has been elite. And if, there are, if they can get any offense, this Clemson team could be scary because they're, I mean, just their defense is absolutely locking down teams from start to finish. There's a lot I liked about this Clemson team. They were winning me money early on. I love Amir Sims. I think the Nick Honor just does so much for this offense. Uh, the transfer from Fordham, he gives them a ball handler. Turnovers were such an issue for them. It allows, you know, dolls to play more off the ball. And I, there's a lot to like about this team. The offense is still inefficient in a lot of different ways. What they really rely on for offense, getting out in transition, offensive putbacks. What are two things you can't do against Virginia? Virginia doesn't let you get out in transition. I think they're at eight, nine percent. They're one of the top five teams in the nation at limiting transition opportunities, and they play their pack line. They don't give up many opportunities on the offensive glass. But on the other side, I don't think this Virginia offense is going to do much of anything against Clemson's defense. Clemson's defense is that good. I think this is an absolute. And it's scary because tempo's up and you're seeing these teams that are slower getting higher score games. I think this is a rock fight. I think, this, I, can we get 120 so I can bet under? I, I think that this could be first of 50 wins. Randall, any thoughts here? I'm done fading Clemson. I, I'm, I'm going to get on board with Clemson. In that game against North Carolina State, they absolutely should have lost. They were outplayed the entire time. Maybe they were looking ahead of Virginia. I don't know. 
Sims was in foul trouble. You hit, you'd said it. Honor makes big shots, big three pointers at the end of game. I am buying in on their defense. I also think Virginia struggled a little bit. Uh, I would say in inside, Jay Huff has not been great. He's had some ball handling trouble, travels, weird things like that. Walda Tensai has not been shooting the ball as well as they thought he was going to. He was a guy who was supposed to be like 43, 44%. He has struggled. Kihei Clark can only do so much. Uh, they have good players. I understand that with, with Beekman and Morcel. I get that on the on the edge. I think Clemson's ready for this game. I don't think Virginia's going on the road and winning. The way that you beat Virginia is you don't do the opposite tempo. We learned that, right? You play them the way they play, and you do it better. Clemson's going to do that. They're going to rebound. Sim should have a bounce-back game. I'm not fading Clemson anymore. Colin? Yeah, I mean, for me, there's 357 D1 teams, and Virginia's 357 in tempo, which means they're dead last. Yeah, rock fight is the way to say it. Clemson's 296th in tempo. I think there's a chance to play an over here. And I, that sounds crazy, but the odds, oh, makers, no. the odds makers are aware of this tempo. They are aware of how, how, how slow this is going to be. So a number that Ken Palm says should be around 114 may come out 110-ish, 109-ish. And then you get that public steam all driving that down. But if you look inside, you know, some of the numbers. Is that what Ken Palm makes it? 114? 114, yeah. But if I you, was hoping he made it 120. And if you look, but if you look at some of the numbers in here, I mean, Virginia's ninth in the nation in free throw shooting percentage. They're going to make theirs. Clemson's not that bad. If you look at them shooting three points, uh, you know, Virginia's perimeter defense is 214. So, I mean, Clemson may be able to get some balls up to go through the hoop. I think this is kind of a wait and let the market push that number down because of the tempo. And then if you can get something around the 110-ish to 112-ish range, I would take it over here. I mean, they're going to hit their free throws. Uh, you don't need that many shots to get over, uh, you know, to, to get 50 apiece here. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be watching the number float and then maybe within an hour, probably taking over. We finally might have some disagreement. I think this is uh, I, I could not play an over in this game. Uh, I mean, I think my number is like 108. <laughs> uh, I'll have to double check. But um, all right. And then our final game of our final ranked matchup on Saturday, Michigan at Minnesota. Uh, I make this around four, eh, four, four and a half. Now, in a normal year, I am itching, itching to bet Minnesota here. Everyone is talking about Michigan, right? Who, I, Michigan is probably going to be at the top of the, of the market right here. And they're playing a Minnesota team that they just absolutely steamrolled. I mean, destroyed. Let's see, they played... January 6th, so about a week ago, and they won 82 to 57. And now you're getting Minnesota at home off of two straight losses. Michigan just was up by what 60 on Wisconsin. People are saying, are they as good as Bell? Are they as good as Gonzaga now? So if you're gonna sell high, it's here. But again, it's like there's no fans. It's an, it, so it's not it's not the same. And I don't know necessarily know if they match up that well. Minnesota runs a lot of pick and roll with Marcus Carr, who's great. Michigan defends the pick and roll so well uh, with Wagner and company. And this kid, Hunter Dickinson, I mean, can anyone stop him? Seven, seven foot one freshman who went up against Minnesota's seven footer, Liam Robinson, we mentioned earlier. When they played, he went bonkers. He went 28 points, 12 of 15 from the floor. Minnesota couldn't do anything to stop him. And this is one of the things that Juwan Howard is doing much more of that Beeline did is post-ups 
and they are going through the post and they are getting great looks. Um, Minnesota is running bad from three. I mean, is Kalsher ever going to make a three again? So maybe you see a, some positive regression there. But from an X's and O's perspective, I, I don't know if it's the best matchup for Minnesota, which is one of the reasons maybe why they got blown out by 25 the last time they played. But from a spot perspective, from a market perspective, selling high, this is the spot. How high of a number are we going to get? We'll see. Uh, Rand, I'll throw it to you. Are you a, what do you see here? And are you a believer in this Michigan team as a potential final four candidate and maybe even national title winner? No, there I'm, I'm a believer, but I'm not a believer in this spot. Give make that number for me, please. Vegas, like five, five and a half, because I found that home dogs over the past three years who are getting five, five and a half around there are close to 60%. That's an odd number for a home dog team. I know there's no fans there, but let's look what Minnesota has done at home. They played a tough St. Louis team who's going to battle. They beat them by eight. They played Iowa with Garza. I know Dickinson's incredible and he's incredible, but they played Luca Garza. They won that game in overtime by seven. That's probably the last time they were shooting well too. Michigan State at home. I know they're down, but still 25 points at home. Ohio State at home, 17 points. They're a different team on the road than they are away. They ended up playing Iowa a second time on the They also beat St. Louis before all that too at home. Yeah, absolutely. They beat St. Louis and then they played Iowa a second time and they ended up battling them, and and they still didn't get blown out the second time. I think they're better at home. I think Michigan's going to regress a little bit. Their turnover percentage in conference games, Michigan offensive turnovers, has been a little high. Listen, they are absolutely on fire. After that last game, people are going to come in. They blew out Wisconsin. They're going to hammer Michigan. I'm going to take Minnesota here. I love Michigan. Love the Wolverines. I just think at some point they're going to regress. And if Minnesota's been great at home, they have Marcus Carr. He can get hot. And I expect Robbins to play Dickinson a little bit better. I'll take the Golden Gophers. I'm going to sweep this again. I, I'm, I want five and a half from Vegas also. If we can get it, I'm going to be on Minnesota. And the key stat for me is that Minnesota doesn't turn the ball over. They're top 10 in the nation and offensively in steal percentage. And Michigan does not take the ball away from you. The 319th in defensive steal percentage. And, you know, that tells me that Minnesota is going to make every possession count. And if you look at the point distribution for Minnesota, I mean, it's great that Michigan's defense is number one in the nation against two-point shot, but that's not where Minnesota shoots. Minnesota is outside the top 300 in point distribution from two-pointers. They like to shoot some threes, but more importantly, they get all their points from free throws. So if Minnesota's going to get to the line at home, if you give me five and a half as a dog, uh, I think it's just a bad mismatch for Michigan-Minnesota. And, and like we said, the market's just going to be all over Michigan the way they've been playing. I would happily take Minnesota at five and a half. All right, there you have it. Those are your four top 25 matchups. Uh, before we get out of here, we'll just go around the horn and just pick out a couple spots or something you want to mention for Saturday. Uh, before we do that, we have to get Colin's thoughts. You can go into the rest of your Saturday's thoughts on uh, Arkansas basketball. Are they going to bounce back at that, after that embarrassing performance against LSU? And what are your thoughts on the Hogs in general? A lot of potential there, and if, if they're fully healthy. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Saturday and uh, going forward? Woo, pig suey. Collins talking Razorback basketball. Well, it's been a nice surprise with the Razorbacks because they lost a lot between Isaiah Joe. It's a completely brand new team for Musselman, but Musselman's all about bringing energy to the table. And you saw that when they were down by 30 after like 10 minutes against LSU uh, on the road. And so they've lost three of their last four, but they still came back and made it a respectable loss against LSU, losing by 16 after being down so much. And I think that they're in this spot here against Alabama. These two teams, Alabama and Arkansas, both top 20 in tempo 
And if you look at, you know, shooting percentages and defense, Arkansas may have a chance. Perimeter defense, I know that they're down Justin Smith. Uh, injury came four games ago, and it's just been a different story for them. They've had to rotate what they're doing uh, in practice with J.D. Nate and Moses Moody. Uh, but, you know, for me, the defense has kind of waned off without Justin Smith, but the scoring is up there too. 99 points on Georgia. LSU just scored 92 on them. Uh, even Tennessee, a team that is super slow outside the top 300 in tempo, that game was 79-74. So I think, you know, anything over 162-ish, 163 with Alabama is deserving of an over. Uh, I like Arkansas. If you can give me five points with them, I think they're going to turn it around. That shooting percentage, they, you know, they, they can turn that around after what happened at LSU. They're going to be motivated uh, and they're going to get healthier. They only dressed nine uh, going down to LSU. Uh, they should get a couple of the, you know, the role players back. And we're going to wait to see what Justin Smith does with that lower body injury, that ankle injury that he's got. So uh, I like Arkansas to cover if you can get it at five. And I definitely like the over two of the fastest teams, the two fastest teams playing each other on Saturday. Uh, Red, what do you got circled or want to mention for Saturday? You know, I've come around guys on this Oklahoma team. I think they're actually pretty good. Lon Kruger has really impressed me. They ended up playing Baylor. They lost by 15, but they hung in that game for a while. And Brady Maddock has been in and out. He's been struggling, hasn't been playing well, but they've still been really, really tough. They went to Kansas, lost by four, and then they destroyed TCU. I love what they do. And Umoja Gibson, who came over from North Texas, the transfer, he is flammable. He can get scalding hot and make a huge difference here. They're going to play Oklahoma State. Everybody loves Oklahoma State now because, of course, they're coming off the win on Kansas. Oklahoma ends up going there. I think they're going to be very competitive in a rivalry game. I love what Kruger's doing. This team plays smart. If we get anything from Manic and he plays, I think they're very dangerous. I think they're undervalued. People are going to love Oklahoma State because of Cade Cunningham. I like the Sooners here as the underdog, small underdog against their rival. Don't disagree there. One I'll mention is Akron. It's scary, but if it's probably the spot of the day, in my opinion. Uh, look, this Toledo team has been a covering machine, and there's a lot to like about Toledo. I love Maxion. I love Maxion. <laughs> Trust me, I, I I really like this team. I mean, Marion Jackson, amazing guard, and his shooters. Uh, they his penetration kickouts. They have shooters all over, but they're not. They can't keep this up. I mean, everyone. I mean, Spencer Littleson. I know he's a great shooter. He's shooting. He's 48 of 102 from three on the year. Every one of their team is shooting like 45, 50%. They've been, I mean, they're shooting over 40, I think close to 41% in conference from three. They have won, I think, eight in a row overall. This team is really good, but you might give them a little inflated here going up against an Akron team who has a great point guard of their own in Lauren Christian Jackson. And they're coming off two bad losses, two bad road losses. They lost at Eastern Michigan by 12. And then they lost at Northern Illinois, who's just dreadful. That was on Tuesday. You should get their best effort here. You might get an inflated line and you should have some shooting regression coming for Toledo. All right. That'll do it for us. Shout out to the three man weave guys. Thanks to Mike Randall. Thanks to Colin Wilson. We covered a lot. We will cover a lot more. We will continue to build our futures portfolio. Make sure you check out the Action Network app at actionnetwork.com for more content and for our picks all weekend. Let's have a weekend. And uh, I'm excited to go on this journey with everyone listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We will catch you all next week. Cheers. Peace out. Later.
we're finished talking. 